Most every actress and actor I know wants to build a lasting body of work, choosing roles that do more than just speak to them personally, but with the hope of their performance will resonate with others. The five women nominated Best Supporting Actress have done just that. Here are the nominees for performance by an actress in a supporting role. Kathy Bates, Richard Jewell. Laura Dern, Marriage Story. Scarlett Johansson, Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh, Little Women. Margot Robbie, Bombshell. And the Oscar goes to. Hello there, all you bombshells, all you hustlers, all you little women, and welcome back to Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, the best and most esteemed podcast for Academy Award do-overs. I'm Lee. Hi, Lee. I'm Spro, and our destiny is to rewrite Oscar history one gold man at a time. Our mark today is the Nepo baby, Laura Dern, Marriage Story. <laughs> This is the first Oscar and third nomination for Laura Dern. Laura Dern, the daughter of Bruce Dern and Diane Ladd, probably best known for her collaborations with David Lynch, for playing Ellie Sattler in the Jurassic Park films, or even for playing Vice Admiral Holdo in The Last Jedi. Before winning Best Supporting Actress in 2020, Dern was nominated two times, once in 1992 for Best Actress in Rambling Rose, and once for Supporting Actress in 2015's Wild. Thank you to the Academy for this honor, just to be in this room with such remarkable artists, including my fellow nominees, my sisters and colleagues. Thank you, Netflix, my friend, Ted, Scott, everyone, for their support and love to Noah, his vision, his magic. Thank you, Noah, for your words and for your friendship in art and life with you and Greta. Thank you to this cast, the majestic Adam, Scarlett, Alan, Ray, our amazing crew, David. Noah wrote a movie about love and about breaching divisions in the name and in the honor of family and home and hopefully for all of us in the name of our planet. And I would like to say a special thank you to the gifts of the love stories in my life, my, steps, my stepchildren, CJ and Harris, my heart and inspiration, Ellery and Jaya. And you know, some say, never meet your heroes, but I say if you're really blessed, you get them as your parents. I share this with my acting heroes, my legends, Diane Ladd and Bruce Dern. You got game. I love you. Thank you all for this gift. This is the best birthday present ever. I love you. I love my friends. You lift me up every day. Thank you. <laughs> and you know what? Make love to me gently with Negan's baseball bat wrapped in a barbed wire, but I really liked her as Vice Admiral Haldo in The Last Jedi. And I will always have a special place in my heart for her as Ellie Sattler in the Jurassic Park films. Read that correctly. Jurassic Park films. 
Well, I enjoyed the fact they all tried to come back in the last one to save Colin Trevor from himself. I did not appreciate it. I think I watched the first four minutes of the first Jurassic World. And when they immediately cut to the Jurassic Park music, but it was playing over the amusement park, I was like, I'm done. What you missed was they were like, you know, what's old and unexciting is real dinosaurs. So we're going to create one. And I was like, you're saying dinosaurs are boring. Dinosaurs are like the coolest things on the face of the earth in history. I was going to say they're not currently on the face of this earth. I did play the Lego Jurassic World games uh, and had, had a fun time. Spro, I'm curious if you would like to share a take on the whole Nepo baby discussion, maybe burn some bridges before you've even built them. Are you talking? Do you want me to jump right in with an Oscar fun fact? That wasn't my intention. I was just trying to have a preliminary discussion, but you know. Oh, fuck yeah. I'm going to do an Oscar fun fact. Okay. Brought to you by Odd Dog Coffee. (sighs) For some of us, coffee is more than just a pick me up. For some of us, coffee is as important as who should have won Best Actor 2022. We take our coffee seriously. We're passionate eccentric and a little odd and for us there's odd dog odd dog coffee is a mobile cafe and coffee retailer from cleveland ohio they offer committed coffee drinkers a reimagined version of flavored coffee they promise you a high quality roast profile to create a solid bean when they flavor their beans they don't spray them down with cheap stale chemicals no 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 they use fresh ingredients like cacao nibs cayenne pepper and cinnamon sticks what you experience is a balanced bean combined with a touch of spice to create a uniquely delicious cup of coffee you can drink every day head over to odddogcoffee.com where you can choose from three original roasts cardamom and clove spike the good boy blend of just the beans and finally my favorite cinnamon cayenne and cacao and if you're in the cleveland area check out their online menu at odddogcoffee.com and visit them at the walter stinson community park in university heights ohio like film nerds odd dog is at home with its dedication comfortable in its uniqueness cozily familiar yet distinctly odd the movies we watch are too special to be normal and the coffee you drink is too precious to be anything but odd dog i will always be amazed at how for lack of a better word clueless the younger generations are than us Mm, let me rephrase that already i will always be amazed at how public the younger generations will make their cluelessness due to the lack of awareness of how social media works and how they feel that every thought feeling meal needs should be shared with the world the subject of nepo babyism, which, <laughs> holy shit, Microsoft Word is not flagging that. That's a word? Is that a word? All right, here we go. The subject of nepo babyism swept the internet because one person tweeted in February. A Canadian tech support worker named Miriam Daraji brought the idea of nepo babies into the public conversation. Like many Zoomers, Daraji watched Euphoria and absorbed everything about it online. She wasn't a particular fan of Maud Apatow's character. She tweeted, her acting wasn't bad, but it wasn't anything special. And when she discovered both of the actress's parents had Wikipedia entries of their own, she fired off a tweet. I just found out that the actress that plays Lexi is a nepotism baby. OMG, her mom is Leslie Mann and her dad is a movie director, LOL. Her tweet received more than 4,000 likes, but the more important figure was the 2,500-plus quote tweets, mostly from millennials and Gen Xers, incredulous that someone had got into Judd Apatow through Maud Apatow. Or maybe the fact that they go, (laughs) sub-director, when it was actually Judd Apatow. Like, know who he is, please. Nepo baby isn't a new term, but it's now the term. And nepotism isn't a new thing. But why are we hating it so much now? 
First, what is nepotism? Nepotism is defined as the practice among those with power or influence of favoring relatives, friends, or associates, especially by giving them jobs. This is everywhere. It's in every industry. I mean, down home in Cleveland, one could argue that Cleveland's growth has been stagnant because our last mayor of like four terms, Mayor Jackson, only practiced nepotism in his hiring practices. That goes straight to the White House of politics, where we had George H.W. Bush as our 41st president, and then his son, George W. Bush, as our 43rd president, and even almost got Jeb Bush as our 45th. Please clap. (laughs) Do you remember what he said? (laughs) (laughs) I think the next president needs to be a lot quieter, but send a signal that we're prepared to act in the national security interests of this country to get back in the business of creating a more peaceful world. Please clap. (laughs) Hollywood is rife with nepotism. In fact, the mere motto of how to get ahead in the business is simply, it's who you know. And everyone knows you have to know someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows someone. But what does this mean? Who you know determines whether or not you make it in a field of skill and artistry, not whether or not you're good at your craft or a master at creation. That's exactly what it means. Hollywood is incestual. And so it is no wonder that it turns out products put together as well as incestual babies. Sorry if I just triggered any children of incest or royals. I wanted to list the Nepo babies here, but even though it swept the internet, there's no wiki list yet. And every article you find is scattered or those dumbass galleries you have to click through. Also, it's funny to hear who the younger generation cares about because our generation watched people like Lily Rose Depp, Zoe Kravitz, and Dakota Johnson grow up. To us, it's probably surprising to learn George Clooney and Jennifer Aniston were Nepo babies, and we all know like Angelina Jolie and Bryce Dallas Howard. So why do we not like the nepotism? I think it attacks our wants for and our belief in a meritocracy. But this isn't news, right? America isn't really a meritocracy. We're a (laughs) nepotocracy drowning under generational wealth. Trickle-down economics, a hundred-year-old practice and theory rewritten to be Reaganomics in the 1980s, has very clearly never worked. Poor people are poorer, the middle class is shrinking, and the rich have pulled so far ahead, we can't even see them anymore. And as movie theaters close and Netflix stock tumbles, it is obvious that the product of family-friendly Hollywood is also suffering. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. People in control don't like giving it up. What you hate about your politicians, you must also not like about your current most powerful producers slash movie makers. But in Hollywood's defense, and yes, I'm actually defending Hollywood, Sometimes they give rich folk funds to outsiders. Just recently, I thought I knew someone was a Nepo baby only to learn they weren't. And I'm talking about you, Damien Chazelle. You really need to give Chazelle a break, man. I don't. Tell me how his dick tastes. So in the spirit of things, though, it's not like all Nepo babies are bad. We're just kind of jealous of them because they had an easier ride. And we hate the fact that they're all coming out in droves now to be like, I had to work for what I had. It wasn't an easy ride. We all feel like we're working hard, but all hard work is the avoidance of harder work, so shut the fuck up. And to make this conversation more positive, I just want to throw out my favorite Nepo baby has to be Dan Levy. That man just cracks me up. He is one of the creators of Schitt's Creek, who I think is the best Nepo baby, probably like the most talented. That would be Elizabeth Olsen, who's probably one of the best of Marvel still today. And who I think is the worst, I'm going to throw this out there. For all those people that love Dancing with the Stars, they probably love this person. But Rumor Willis once walked out of one of my plays at intermission. So personally, fuck you, Rumor Willis. Leah, if you could turn your mic back on, I'm curious about who you would say is your favorite Nepo baby, who you think is the best, the most talented, and who you think is the worst should not have been given the chance. 
My favorite is probably Maya Hawk. Physically, she's just a cute mix of her two parents. And looking at her makes me think back to when Ethan and Uma were kids. I hope she does great things. She's going to be in Asteroid City, Wes Anderson's new movie this year. So the best is John David Washington. I've only seen three of his films, but he is fire in all of them. And I might add that his father is also the best of the Nepo baby sires, if that makes sense. The worst, uh, easy, easy, It's Paris Hilton. Complete trash bag of a human being. I wouldn't waste my piss on her if she was thirsty or on fire. I was thinking about like the Kardashians, but I was like, I mean, they don't act. They don't do anything. So, But Paris Hilton was in House of Wax, so I get where you're going there. All right, Spro, since you chose this award, yeah, you didn't choose it. You suggested this one. I agreed. But since you did, why don't you start by sharing your feelings on Ms. Laura Dern's performance as Nora Fanshawe and her eventual Oscar win? Um, what performance? <laughs> In a movie where I think Adam Driver and ScarJo are swinging for the fences, Laura Dern barely shows up for a scene, let alone steals one. Google Laura Dern, Marriage Story, and her monologue comes up, and her monologue looks like me in Ohio University acting class. Spastic arm movements, flickering eyes looking for her lines, a prop in her hand to give her something else to do. I absolutely cannot tell you one reason why she won the award. Maybe you can enlighten me. Okay. Well, I find that a well-written character historically leads to Oscars or at least Oscar nominations. And I think Nora's well-written. She's got layers. On the surface, we see a confident, successful attorney, tall and elegant, yet approachable and empathetic. And then beneath that surface, she's quite manipulative. She's a bit of an opportunist by trade. And I would guess, only guess, maybe harboring some personal resentment either towards men or to the institution of marriage. Ultimately for her, it's about winning. But to be fair, it's also about winning for Charlie to a point. You know, he can be an asshole and... I can get really pissed off and I'll call him on being an asshole. I'm gonna stop you there. When you do this for real, don't ever say that. People don't accept mothers who drink too much wine and yell at their child and call him an asshole. I get it, I do it too. We can accept an imperfect dad. Let's face it, the idea of a good father was only invented like 30 years ago. Before that, fathers were expected to be silent and absent and unreliable and selfish. And we can all say we want them to be different. But on some basic level, we accept them. We love them for their fallibilities, but people absolutely don't accept those same failings in mothers. We don't accept it structurally, and we don't accept it spiritually, because the basis of our Judeo-Christian whatever is Mary, mother of Jesus, and she's perfect. She's a virgin who gives birth, unwaveringly supports her child and holds his dead body when he's gone. And the dad isn't there. He didn't even do the fucking. God is in heaven. God is the father and God didn't show up. So you have to be perfect and Charlie can be a fuck up and it doesn't matter. You will always be held to a different, higher standard. And it's fucked up, but that is the way it is. The film is decidedly anti-lawyer. Even the sweetest of the lawyers, played by Alan Alda, is confounding and a bit doddering. According to writer-director Noah Baumbach, Marriage Story isn't an autobiographical film, but rather a personal one. There's a true distinction in that, he promised the New York Times, except that Nora Fanshawe is probably based on Laura Wasser, the high-profile divorce lawyer who represented Jennifer Jason Leigh in her divorce from Noah Baumbach. 
and Fanshawe's office space in the movie, that's Wasser's firm. Also, Wasser represented Laura Dern during her divorce from Ben Harper. Whatever to all that. My point is the man does not feel cozy comfy about lawyers, and who could blame him? They're arsonists disguised as firefighters. And nowhere in his script does Baumbach communicate that better than through the character Nora Fanshawe. So what I'm hearing is this Laura Wasser probably represented a whole lot of Academy voters, and they all chuckled at Laura Dern's mimicry of their lawyer. Maybe. Probably Maybe. the best reason. <laughs> Maybe. Um, look, a marriage story is a very good take on divorce. In fact, when I was going through my own divorce, my divorce lawyer, who is also my late father's good friend, was a guest at my wedding and also gave me a good divorce discount because he felt personally responsible for approving the nuptials. And he's also a fan of my writing. This lawyer told me to write the next great movie about divorce. And then a marriage story came out and I was like, ah, here it is. I don't even have to write it. And for those married or thinking about marriage or thinking about divorce, let me tell you, you're fine until the lawyers get involved and the lawyers are the clause. They get what they get you, and so they want more than you might want. Regardless, they're your offense, and things get offensive. And by the end, you might probably will hate the person you used to love because of somebody else's claws. A marriage story gets this all correct. Okay, so we're on the same page there. So what do I think Dern brought to this very realistic and pivotal role? Honestly, her name and her experience. She stuck with what was on the page and didn't take it much further. It's a very good role played acceptably by Laura Dern. If anything, she underplayed the role, as you pointed out, alongside Driver and ScarJo, who were just swinging for the fences. I think if we sat and thought about it for a while, we could come up with a nice list of actors who could have played Nora just as well, or even better. On my own, I thought of Sandra Bullock, Laura Linney, Nicole Kidman, and Sandra Oh. Or... He could have resurrected someone like Kelly Lynch or Gina Davis. Wouldn't it be nice to see them back in the mix? Or Robin it, Wright. Great idea. I think if an actor is going to receive an Oscar, their casting must be impregnable. I shouldn't be able to imagine any of these other women playing the role, but I can. Very easily, in fact. You're absolutely right. I love it when you say that. It's music to my ears. Ultimately, Dern landed a juicy role, gave an adequate performance in an above-average Netflix movie, and doesn't deserve the Oscar she won. Yeah. And the only thing that I would really point out is that I don't wouldn't say this is like outstanding writing, but it is competent writing that gives actors something to work with. Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver, I think, really sunk their teeth into the script. And Laura Dern just took a little nibble. All right. So we're in agreement. Dern doesn't deserve this Oscar. So now we need to figure out who does. Let's start by talking about the folks who weren't even nominated. And let's start with Octavia Spencer playing Harriet Wilson in Loose. Spencer plays a teacher who may or may not be justifiably suspicious of a student named Luce. I sense that this movie began with a good idea, but the best laid plans and all that. Rarely do I try and poke holes through a movie. Movies are movies and reality is reality. But the part where Luce comes to Miss Wilson's house, she closes the door in his face and he just waltzes right in. Instead of calling the police, she has it out with him. That was crackers to me. I don't care how badly you want this kid to hear your side of the story, to hear your philosophy, to understand nobody enters a private residence unlawfully, but especially an estranged student. Fuck all that. I would have walked out the back, dialed 911 and waited across the street. That bugged the hell out of me, especially a <laughs> student of the opposite sex. I'm out. If you're not leaving, I'm leaving. <laughs> You gotta be joking. Deshaun and I got the team to chip in for flowers. Deshaun. <laughs> what? Nothing. 
I'm allergic. Unfortunately for Octavia Spencer, this was also one of only two scenes from Loose where she did anything remotely Oscar worthy. And ultimately, this isn't it. I like your take on this. I am going to jot down what you just said and throw it in your face later. Oh, well, I look, <laughs> I look forward to that. Next on the list is Annette Benning as Senator Dianne Feinstein in The Report. This movie was a not-so-thrilling political thriller about the 20-million-page report that took 40 fucking millennia to write about torture. And it's not a good movie. It's really boring. (laughs) I mean, it's... Isn't it boring? Yeah, no, it took me like six tries to get through it all. And it's like, it's funny because it has a really good cast and it had a really good trailer, had a really good poster, was free on Amazon Prime. And I watched it before we were doing research for this episode. And I'm a completionist, so I just struggled all the way through it. And yeah, I love Annette Benning. I have liked her since An American President. But I, mm. the other thing too is if you're going to do a political thriller, it better be thrilling because well, yeah, if, it can't if be it's about like if it's not <laughs> all that you're left true. with is politics. I like the fact that they wanted to get this story out there, and you know, I, I was railing on Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's new movie about the creation of Air Jordans. It's like of all the stories we could tell. <laughs> oh my god, I know why that one. Well, you know why? It's marketing. It's Nike wanting a movie about their shoes so they could sell more Nikes, and Hollywood kissing the feet of anybody that will pay them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Well, back to the report. Benning is... One of the things you denigrate is awarding people for mimicry. And this, like, Senator Dianne Feinstein, real lady, and all all Annette Benning was doing was, like, copying her her motions and movements, which she could actually meet the lady. So that's another reason why I'm like, okay, good job. Good job being Senator Dianne Feinstein. Yeah, there's nothing nothing Oscar-worthy about this performance. Okay. That brings us to Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. One, please. 75 cents. What if I'm in the movie? What do you mean? I mean, I'm in the movie. I'm Sharon Tate. You're in this? Mm Mm-hmm. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. That's me. (laughs) But that's the girl from Valley of the Dolls. Well, that's me. The girl from Valley of the Dolls. Really? Really. Hey, Ruben, come out here. This is the girl from Valley of the Dolls. Patty Duke? No, the other one. The girl from Peyton Place? No, the other one. The one who ends up doing dirty movies. Oh. She's in this movie. Oh. Sharon Tate. Well. Welcome to the Bruin, Miss Tate. Thank you for coming to our theater. Would you like to come in and see the show? Could I? By all means. Thank you. Hey, can I get a picture? Oh, sure. (laughs) You know, why don't you stand over by the poster so people will know who you are? Okay. Could you? Is this the first Quentin Tarantino movie that we are talking about on no. this show? No. What did we talk no. about? Before? 
What are we talking? I don't about? know. Oh, maybe like officially, like Official, you didn't just yeah, randomly pull it out of your of ass. Course, you yeah, that's, about what, it? that's what I mean. Okay, yes. then yes, I think this is our first. I think Robbie does a fine job with what she has. There isn't much there. There's that very famous, I don't know how famous it is. There's that clip from Cannes where after the film premiered, during the press conference, somebody asks like something to the effect of like, don't you feel like this is a man's movie? And that, you know, basically trying to take Tarantino to task for the fact that he didn't give Robbie enough to do. And he said something like, no, I don't. And I reject your hypothesis. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's it's kind of true. I mean, there's not much for her to do. She's in it a decent amount, but she doesn't do a whole lot. I will say, I think she gives Tate a very gratifying tribute. And I think everyone would agree that Tarantino gives Tate that storybook ending she didn't get. But Robbie moves in and out of this movie like a soft breeze. So not Oscar material. I like that. She's just kind of there. And really, when you watch her and you watch how she moves, you're watching Sharon Tate or like your nostalgia for Sharon Tate and your hope that Sharon Tate would have survived and everything like that. Margot just had to show up and be like, I'm Sharon Tate for all of us movie cinephiles and everything to be like, oh, my gosh. Yes. Thank Mm -hmm. you. And to say like she didn't have a whole lot to work with. Yeah. Dakota Fanning, she had even less screen time. But I'll always remember how she looked and how she acted and how she delivered her lines in this movie because it was haunting. Margot Robbie had the most screen time. She wasn't the most memorable supporting actress in this movie. Okay, let's move on. Just moving along at a good clip here. I like it. But I think we're going to actually have to hit the brakes on this next one. This is... Oh, I would love to. Jennifer Lopez as Ramona in Hustlers. There's a lot of folks who thought this year J-Lo got snubbed and should have received an Oscar nomination. Spro is not one of those people. Nope. I'm going to say this again a couple times today, I think. So here's time number one. This is a case of an actress giving her best. In my opinion, Lopez is more than memorable as Ramona, as this charismatic Pied Piper of lawless strippers. I was always most impressed, actually, anytime Lopez was on screen with Constance Wu. Their dynamic just crackles, and their chemistry really carries the film. I'd love to see them team up again. How come you're so good? I see you with every single kind of guy, and I don't know, it's like you have them all figured out. I guess I'm just a people person. It's easier if you think of them as like your rich friends. Some of them are not so bad. Where else you dance? I was at Sin City for way too long. Mm -hmm. And then I heard some boiler room guys saying how all the money was in the city, so. You followed the green brick road. Yep. So far, so good? I mean, it's okay. Get out. I mean, you must be cleaning up. You're new, you're fucking gorgeous. You're Asian. It's like a triple threat. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that good. Couple things before I begin what I was gonna say. One, man, did I think Jennifer Lopez was gonna have a more versatile career after she did The Cell. And now I kind of want to rewatch The Cell because I remember how much I liked it and how much it creeped me out. The other thing that I want to say before I say what I'm gonna say is, I don't know if you or anybody out there went to go see it, but Marry Me with Owen Wilson was a fucking treat. I really like that as a romantic comedy, and I recommend it to anybody. And I think that is kind of where Jennifer Lopez was at her best. The lady I'm seeing, she loves this movie, and she doesn't really love movies. And as I discussed this with her, she was like, look, I love her in this, but she doesn't really have a lot of range here. And I absolutely agreed with her. 
Mostly, J-Lo is playing a badass bitch with a maternal streak. And at the end, she feigns crying, but there's definitely not anything to gush about. With all this being said, my God, is she one of the most gorgeous women on this goddamn planet? And if she told me to nominate her for an Oscar, I absolutely would. But she's never going to talk to me, and so I don't have to go against my better judgment. Hustlers is a fun watch. I really like it. J-Lo was fun to see on screen, and she is gorgeous, but it's a no from me, dog. Well, the Academy agreed with you. I'm curious why you think they did, because aren't there a lot of people that love her that would have possibly tuned in or at least talked about the Oscars? Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure. Why do you think she didn't garner a nom? Because they already had their fan favorite Best Supporting Actress pick, which we'll get to in the nominateds. All right. Well, I'm glad that you and I and your lady friend agree that this was a good movie. I got swept up in it. And fun fact, Lily Reinhardt, who plays Annabelle, kind of like the third in command. She's a, a Cleveland native, hails from Bay Village, Ohio. I didn't know that. And she's like Betty Cooper on Riverdale. She is Betty Cooper on Riverdale. But that makes sense because she was in my buddy's movie, The Kings of Summer. Hmm. There you go. She's also cute as a button. She is. How old is she? All right. Take it easy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next on the list is another one that might take a second. This is Zhao Shujen as Nai Nai in The Farewell. This movie has a wonderful story. So the writer-director Lulu Wang went on This American Life and told the story, which is essentially the premise of the entire movie. The movie The Farewell opens with quite the original epigraph. It says, based on a true lie. When Wang's grandmother, who lives in China, was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, the family, both stateside and back in China, decided not to tell her based on this culturally held belief that people don't die of cancer, they die of fear. And The Farewell tells the story of how they rushed this wedding so that everybody could get together with her and see her one last time. Zhao, the woman who ended up playing Nai Nai, was a well-established stage and television actress, and she received word of this role from Diane Lin, who ended up portraying her daughter in the film, the mother of Aquafina's character, Billy. After speaking with writer-director Lulu Wang on the phone, Zhao accompanied Wang to meet the real Nai Nai, who at the time was still unaware of her diagnosis. And they just kind of played it off like, oh, you're, this is a friend of mine. And obviously Zhao got the part, which was her feature film debut, and is absolutely terrific. The story is even funnier in that when the film got greenlit, Lucy Wang told her Nai Nai and her Nai Nai was like, oh, great, are you going to shoot it here in China? And she's like, yes, but she wasn't going to shoot it where her grandmother lived because she didn't want her grandmother anywhere near the set. And her grandmother kind of not nagged her, but convinced her like, oh, but we could see each other if you shot it here. And she was like, fuck. So she ended up shooting it in her grandmother's neighborhood where they're outside doing the hi, hi. And Lulu Wang had to tell all of the crew members, do not tell my grandmother. What a film. This is the second time I watched it. And the music is great. The pacing is great. It's a nice, quick watch. Runs about 90 minutes. I think Aquafina is terrific. Everybody is good. But Aquafina carries her and Nine Eyes scenes just carry this movie for me. Yeah, and you could so you could stick a pin in this one because I like this performance. Why? Why did you like it? Qualify it. Okay, so one, everybody that listens to this podcast knows that I have weird complexes and biases that I like shy away from. So look, all right, I don't like Aquafina's name probably because I don't like Aquafina the water. <laughs> So I stayed away from The Farewell because there was nothing for me that I really cared about. Watching The Farewell, though, and getting into it and being like, oh, my gosh, and then researching the story behind it. I was like, this is one of the most fun films that we have watched 
for Spro and Lee take on the Academy. Since I can remember, you're right. It moves at a nice clip. It's short. It reminds me, I have a pen pal in Japan that I've had for about five years now. I don't think he listens to the show, but his parent died in the hospital. And I was like, oh my gosh. And this is writing and it takes three months for a response. But I was like, what did they die from? I hope everybody's okay. I hope you're all, you're coping with it very well. And he writes back and he's like, they were old. They went to the hospital. They died. Like we don't learn anything else about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, in America, we would sue the shit out of somebody. Just like with this film, the first thing you have to get over as Americans is like, wait a minute, they're telling other people her diagnosis and not telling directly at her. Like what's going on that's hippa not hippa right. hippa and about like 45 minutes into the film i'm starting to think to myself like i love this i almost like i was trying to explain it to other people and they're like oh no that's horrible they can't lie to her and i was like no 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 it to me it completely makes sense i don't want to know that i'm dying if all my family wants to get together and make sure that my passage is as good as possible and here's where my belief and love in this performance comes from her portrayal of aquafina's grandma literally by like an hour and she's your grandma too there is a very long scene where she's walking with her father and her father's like we're not telling her you're not going to tell her and she's just responding the same way like yep we're not telling her okay we're not telling her and you're like okay this is setting up obviously she's going to tell her but as you're going along you're like oh i hope she doesn't tell her i wanted that grandma to have like the greatest end of days as possible I think there's been a lot of performances, a lot of old people performances that we've seen on the show because they were awarded because they were in the industry throughout their entire lives. And then they were just awarding them at the end of life. And with this one, I think this is one of the best elderly performances I have seen on film, but I just want to see more of it. So, so far, we're not liking anything except Zhao in The Farewell. Yes. You don't want to second guess J-Lo in Hustlers, maybe? I will probably watch Hustlers before anything else, but not for the Academy Awards. Next on the list, Ana de Armas as Marta Cabrera in Knives Out. You're up there, buddy. I didn't know Ana de Armas before this. No one did. Well, I think I knew her as Ben Affleck's girlfriend. And afterwards, I thought it was cute that she got the part because she was Ben Affleck's girlfriend. Actually, they were not romantically linked until after the movie came out when they were working on Adrian Lin's Deep Water. So pop goes your theory there. Ah, well, it's funny how the mind works. What came first? So you're right. I didn't know who she was. I actually think she was probably cast, and this is just pure conjecture, because Hollywood was trying to make her happen. And Ryan Johnson either had to or chose to play ball. There's nothing extraordinary about this role or about her performance. It's the ensemble that really makes this movie work. Yeah, well, obviously the casting was what was going to draw people to the theater. She is rather adorable, though, isn't she? Oh, yeah. When she dies, quote unquote, in Blade Runner 2049, I was crushed. But I couldn't watch her in Blonde. I could not watch her be defiled. It's like diesel fumes in a rose garden. I turned it off. So I didn't like Blonde. Blonde was very artistically put together, very stylized. But in the same instance, it felt like artificial style, I would say. It wasn't like David Lynch creating something new on the screen. It was like, I don't know, it just felt art student-y to me. So I was sad, though, because Anna de Armas, I think, played a pretty comparable Marilyn Monroe. I never noticed how much I did not like Marilyn Monroe's voice until watching that movie. (laughs) Well, that was the weird thing, too, because I was like, I don't necessarily know if she was always on, which was how Anna de Armas was playing her, right? Like, it seemed like she was always Marilyn, even when she was sitting on a couch. And I'm pretty sure she was not always the voicey 
girl with the quote about quotes. Ana de Armas in Knives Out, she's sort of like a damsel in distress. And she is Snow White. I mean, she is as pure as the driven snow. It's kind of really a boring character, if you ask me. Yeah. Well, and she's an okay actress. I won't see anything because she's no, in it, but she definitely no. does her job. Yeah. I saw a sneak peek of Knives Out and still don't understand why it resonated so much with the audience because I found it utterly predictable. The Chris Evans portion of it you found utterly predictable. Well, like the the whole suicide or you predicted that she thought she switched it but didn't. Yes. You are capping your ass off at me right now. I am not. I am not. Because I took like a mini five minute nap. So this is the same thing that happened with Six Sets. I predicted Six Sets. Why? I missed the opening scene. And for whatever reason, the opening scene. Which makes no sense at all. (laughs) Correct. But for whatever reason, because I missed the opening scene of him getting shot. And as we're going through the thing, I was like, oh, he's probably a dead person. So the thing that probably should have alerted me to him maybe being dead because you see him get shot, I missed and yet somehow was able to predict. I took a mini nap in Knives Out and woke up and was like, I bet this is what's going on. So I don't know. It's like those math problems that you get back in school where they're like, they're saying too many words, just focus on what you need to figure out. I sleep through the too many words and I focus on what you got to figure out. Oh my God. Or I'm a genius. If you say so. All right. Next on the list is an actress named Zazie Beetz. There are two possible roles. Let's start with her role in Joker, where she plays Sophie Dumont. The only performance from this movie worth talking about won its award. Agreed, but I love Zazie Beats. And if she's listening, our people are currently talking. So if you want to tell Paul or Ormond or Daryl or Hero, like you totally want to do a bank robbery film, like holla at your boy, because I'd love to fall in love with you. Just throwing that out there. That's going to creep her out more than likely. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. What are you doing in here? You're in the wrong apartment. I really need you to leave. My little girl sleeping in the other room. Moving on to our next film is another Zazzy Beats as Aaron Eccles in Lucy in the Sky. <laughs> All right. So I didn't realize this was the story of the astronaut lady who trekked across the South wearing a diaper in order to confront her extramarital boyfriend and his new girlfriend. I didn't realize this until about an hour in. For the first hour, I was like, what is this? Is this Natalie Portman trying to do her Sandra Bullock astronaut film? And then when we started getting into the meat of the story, I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. I don't necessarily know if I would have ever tried to watch it before this episode or will I ever watch it again? Probably. Absolutely not. And while I love Zazie Beats, and I just got done professing my love for her and asking her to be in one of my movies, this wasn't a movie where anybody other than Natalie Portman was going to get screen time. And since Natalie wasn't anything particularly special in this film, I can't say anybody else was. Agreed. This movie was trash. Let's move along. Before we move along, can we talk about something? John Hamm. Is he the anti-Ryan Reynolds? Because Ryan Reynolds is popular among straight males on the TikTok verse because they say, hey, I'm totally straight, but I do Ryan Reynolds, right? Like that's the joke. That's the running joke around everywhere because he's funny and attractive and charming and fit. That's Ryan Reynolds. Now, John Hamm, he's the same thing, but I want to punch John Hamm in the teeth. Am I the only one? Yeah, I think you're alone on that one, buddy. I enjoy the ham. Really? I watch 30 Rock. You ever watch 30 Rock? Yes. 
his arc on 30 Rock as Liz's boyfriend that's super good looking but doesn't know that he's a moron is great. When they're playing tennis and she has stopped letting him win and she's she's kind of taken him out of the bubble as as Jack Donaghy calls it. She stopped letting him win and she's just whooping him in tennis and he's like, this racket is a fart. He's great. He's got a great story too, man. He plugged away for a long time and kept getting told that he looked like somebody from a different era of filmmaking and then scored that role in Mad Men and everything changed, interestingly enough, taking place in a different era. I like him. Oh, great. Great. I can't wait until he mimics Cary Grant. Anyway, let's just move on. I still want to punch him in the teeth. This next one is Lauren Lolo Spencer as Tracy in Give Me Liberty. It won the Independent Spirit John Cassavetes Award for a film made under $500,000. This horribly titled indie was made with a lot of love, and my favorite part of it was the end credits, which held the superimposed word introducing and then slowly faded in and out about a half a dozen actors this movie introduced us to. Small budgets don't get you much, but excuse me, Karel Mikhanovsky. Mikhanovsky. Just because you do the Russian accent, dude, doesn't make you right. Gives me flashes of Lahane with how well he takes a small budget, a loose script, and just lets characters breathe on screen. For this award, we're looking at Lauren Lolo Spencer. And I can say this for a fact. She was better than Laura Dern, who won an Academy Award. Not that saying that publicly on this podcast will do much for her, but she has gone on from Give Me Liberty to do some TV. And I'm happy for her and happy that Give Me Liberty introduced me to her. Here's the thing. Low budget means the people who sign on aren't taking much either. So you're either getting whoever you can, or you're getting talented people who believe in the craft more than the coin. Low budget has a high percentage of being awful, but we've seen some really great low budget with unknown talent on and behind the camera. Lauren Spencer is one of those very talented people. y'all i am lauren lolo spencer and i'm in a movie called give me liberty you just need to give me to you have any idea how many people depend on you me? know how many people depend on me i depend on you i depend on you so just make a left this whole movie started with a bunch of really random and different people crammed into a medical transport van we were going to make a movie no matter what Give Me Liberty premiered at Sundance and Cannes Film Festivals. And now we are back in the U.S. to premiere on August 23rd at the IFC Center in New York. And guess what? I'm going to be there. And I want to see you there too. Give Me Liberty is about America, about the real people who live here, work here, just trying to get through a really long and tough day. Sorry about this morning. Who knew this was gonna happen? I love how the accordion got off this van before I did. (laughs) Visibility is important because it lets other people know that they're not alone in the stories that are being told and that they're not alone because they don't look like the stereotypical you know, Hollywood actress or actor that's been represented in films for a very, very long time. To be black, to be a woman, and have a disability is a lot to deal with on a daily basis in the real world. So to have a little part of my story being told and to have it be done authentically is 
incredible and it's amazing. And for me, my liberty is being able to be authentically myself. Being able to be and do as much as I want to do on this earth and doing it unapologetically and being authentically me in the process. At one point in this movie, I jumped online to Google Miss Spencer and I immediately thought of you, Spro, and your continued cry for authenticity. A cry which I join you in, in, in crying. We cry together about this. This isn't Lieutenant Dan. It's not Tom Cruise as Ron Kovic. It's not Daniel Day-Lewis as Christy Brown. Ms. Spencer lives with MS. She's not stuck in a wheelchair, but she spends a lot of her time in a wheelchair, just as her character Tracy does. This is what you've been looking for, right? Yeah. That- there's so many people in the world. There's so many actors. There's so many actresses. There's so many opportunities and ways to find these people. It's like, why are we having Jennifer Lawrence play a Russian in Red Sparrow? Just find <laughs> a fucking Russian. These people exist. Go find them and cast them and put money in their pocket. Hell yeah, dude. I'm fucking with you 100%. The movie, though, I think when I started watching this, I was hoping for sort of like another Scarborough type thing. It feels very re- realistic at the beginning. It gets a bit surreal at points. And I think the story meanders way too much. I I probably would have fonder memories of the film itself if Maxim Stoyanov, who played Dima, the guy that wants to fall in love with every woman he sees, he's funny, but he needed his screen time cut way down. I wanted more of those scenes with Vic and Tracy. It feels like they have their initial sort of blowout and then for what felt like nearly an hour, they don't interact at all. Did you feel that at all? (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And like, so here's the thing, too. You introduced me to the phrase hangout movie. And so that's kind of what I felt this was a little bit like, where I was just hanging out in this van surrounded by these characters and just kind of trying to get to know everybody. The slice of life moments that I really liked, which stand out to me. And when Tracy is talking through the wheelchair ramp holes to her mom and her mom's like, you got to go. You got to go get them. Got to go get them. And she's like shifting her weight side to side. Like I was like, those little snippets was what was really engaging to me. Yeah, I wish there'd been way more of that. The scene where Vic and Tracy, he shows her how you can play records really Mm-hmm. terribly, but you can play them with a little... Does he use a paperclip or is it like a sewing needle? I don't know. And he shows her and they're giggling. Uh, it's just very endearing. It's very cute. And the relationship that they have is interesting. Just the movie didn't give me enough of it. <laughs> you said another movie like earlier. Was it Loose? Or maybe like The Report or something like that, where like it was an okay performance in a movie that just didn't grab you, where this was like a good performance in a movie that just didn't grab you. It grabbed me at parts. Like I was... I was on board until we spent all that time at the, I mean, it was funny. Like they're sitting there arguing over what song to sing to send this woman to the next world and then realize that they're at the wrong grave. It was funny. It just, (laughs) somebody needed to be over the director's shoulder being like, you need to get to this really drag. Yeah. From a writing standpoint, like the tactics were not elevating, not crescendoing, you know, like it was just the sound, this guy on the radio being like, bring the van back. What are you doing? Where are you going? And I was like, come on, like raise the stakes a little bit. It was like 30 minutes of just straight, like, I don't know what you're doing, but you're better. I was like, well, this guy probably lost his job already. (laughs) Right. So I'll probably never watch it again, but I would love to see Lauren Spencer everywhere. All right. We got one film left to talk about before the nominated performances. And we have to talk about this film. We're talking about Taylor Russell as Emily in the movie Waves. That night and 
I saw him following her. And I, I had that sick feeling in my stomach. Um, would have gotten up, you know, if I just would have gotten up, then I would have went up to him and stopped him, and she would still be here, so it just, yeah, it is, because I was there, I could have done something, and I chose, I chose not to do anything, I don't know why I did that, this is not your fault, it's not your fault, <laughs> I hate him so much. I hate him so much. What he did is evil, Dad. He's evil. He's a he's a monster. He's a monster for doing that to her. You're angry. You have every right to do that. You hear me? With your brother, he's he's not a monster. He's not evil. He's just a human being. How the fuck was this movie so overlooked? This is the quintessential example of nepotism fucking up meritocracy because I did not know this movie existed and we could do a whole episode on how many nominations this movie got fucked out of. But we're here to talk about Taylor Russell. Not it. You start. (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk about the movie first since I doubt anybody knows about it. This movie begins with the story of a high school wrestler in his senior year trying to get a scholarship. At the same time, he's dealing with a tear in his bicep and trying to keep that under wraps. The movie unravels at such a nice slow clip that you're sitting back and just being like, is this what the movie is about? He grabs some painkillers. You're like, oh, this is going to be about his painkilling addiction. And then his bicep tears. And you're like, oh, is this about him trying to deal with the fact that he's not a wrestler anymore? And then his girlfriend gets pregnant. And you're like, oh, is this about them trying to get an abortion? And then they decide to keep it, but she breaks up with him. And you're like, is this about that? And it does this all the way until the halfway point when boom, his story drops. And it becomes about his little sister, Emily, played by Taylor Russell. And Taylor Russell takes over the movie from that point. She was one of the witnesses to her brother's tragedy. And so she is coping with that from the beginning of her story. And she's just trying to find her own story based on the fact that now everything revolves around the horrific events that surrounded her brother. And to me, this movie kind of crushes you at the beginning and gives you this very hopeful yet sad tale at the end. And I could not take my eyes off the goddamn screen for a moment. And I think I'm going to watch it again after we get done recording this episode. We got some disagreements under our belt and more to come, but wow, such a challenging movie. So beautiful, so well acted, like you pointed out, this unique structure that I feel like it really sets films apart. And you said that the first half unfolds at a good slow clip. I didn't feel like it was a good slow clip at all. I felt like they got right down to business showing you how this kid is starting to fall apart. Yes and no. Like, but in the same instance, like they they took their time. They had like the scenes with him and Sterling K. Brown, who plays his father, working out together. Even in the like the shots. Oh my gosh, the shots in this film, even the the beginning where they's twirling around in the car and then they revisit that shot for his little sister, like driving out to the keys or whatever. 
I was absolutely floored by the visuals. The cinematography is so artful, full of motifs, feels realistic as hell, and just these lasting images. I took a screenshot of them making him and his girlfriend making out on the water, and she has those orange fingernails, and the storm is happening behind them. Like, I took a screenshot and sent it to my lady friend. I was like, just look at this. Yeah. Uh, The way you put it too is wonderful. It just, it really, the first half of the movie is no less dazzling visually, but tonally it's, I was like, no, I have to do another hour of this. I was like, they were going to follow him to prison. And then it just flips on you. I would say it's pretty close to perfect. My only beef with this movie is the ending felt unresolved, which is fine. I like unresolved, but the final shot of Emily riding her bike felt too unresolved. I I imagined after helping her boyfriend mend his relationship with his father that she would head off to the prison where her brother was. She wasn't riding her goddamn bike there, that's for sure, but maybe the idea was knocking around in her head. Anyway, Taylor Russell is tremendous, and director Trey Edward Schultz, like the only other movie that I've seen of his is It Comes at Night. And you could not have two more impressive, low-budget films. This guy has made a fan for life in me. What has he got coming up next? So his next film is going to star The Weeknd, Jenna Ortega, and your boy Barry Cogan. It's going to be based on an original idea from The Weeknd. And I look forward to seeing that shit in the theater. I wish I'd seen Waves in the theater. I did see It Comes at Night in the theater. And I remember at the end of it, there were these youths in the theater and they wanted one thing and the movie did not give it to them. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes. They very desperately wanted monsters to show up and they don't. And when it was over, this one kid was like, fucking stupid. I mean, I could have fucking hit him over the goddamn head with my shoe. I was so like, you fucking asshole. Keep it to your goddamn self. Fucking fucking kids, man. (laughs) Anyway, Waves, it's free, hopefully still on Tubi. Check it out. You won't be disappointed, especially if you love film. You said this is the last movie we have to talk about. It's actually only the last non-nominated. We have to get to the other four actresses who were nominated, the four who are actually up for the Oscar and lost to Laura Dern. Let's do it. First on the list, alphabetically, (laughs) is the great Kathy Bates, who was nominated for playing Bobby Jewell in Richard Jewell. My name is Barbara Jewell. Approximately four weeks ago, Over 100 people were injured and two people lost their lives as a result of the bombing. My heart goes out to these victims and their families. I am so very drained. I do not think any of you can even begin to imagine what our lives are like. The media has portrayed my son as the person who has committed this crime. They have taken all privacy from us. They have taken all peace. The FBI follows his every move and watches my home constantly. And why? My son. My son is innocent. Mr. President, 
Please clear my son's name. I have other performances that I would like to talk about, so I'll be as brief as possible. No. I like this movie a lot. Bates is good. Bates is always good. She should have more than one Oscar on her mantle, but her performance as this doting and emotional mother isn't good enough to garner an Oscar. Well, how many times have we seen Kathy Bates play this role? Like, this is like one of those where she could just like roll out of bed and play this role. I don't see it as as too much of a stretch for her. Do you think it deserved a nomination? Um, yes, I do. I love, I, I love this movie, and she is. You literal. did say it was one of the. It's like the last movie that dealt with important American subjects. Yeah, because you yeah. put me on the fucking spot. But she I, came I, up with this. I'm movie. sure. Like, obviously, could, you like this movie. I'm sure I could think of more. Yeah, it's. I mean, she's. She's just a very doting mother. She is trying to protect her son, and she is also very innocent. She's one of the best things about this movie, I think. Her and John Kick Me in the Teeth Ham are what I really tuned in for. I think everybody in this movie is great. Paul Walter Hauser as Richard Jewell is wonderful. I think Sam Rockwell is great. I think Olivia Wilde as that scumbag reporter is good. I think everybody in this movie is great. Clint Eastwood mostly makes good movies. And I would keep Kathy Bates' nomination. Cool. But let's move on. Okay. Because we're not talking about nominations, really. We're talking about who should have won it over Laura Dern, right? Right. But I imagine you're going to Oh, yeah. I'm coming from somebody. (laughs) Imagine you're going to do your thing when we take nominations away and give it to people that deserve them. Next up is the woman who stood up to Disney in a court of law and won. Actually, I don't know if I went to court, but she definitely punked out Disney like a bunch of bitches. Black Widow herself, ScarJo, for her portrayal of Rosie Betzler in Jojo Rabbit. How was your day, Yannis? Oh, you know, just wandered around being a deformed kid with nothing to live for. You're not deformed. My face looks like a goddamn street map, woman. I wouldn't expect you to understand. If my father were here, he'd get it. Well, he's not. I know. And instead, I'm stuck with you. You want to dad, eh? Yeah, I do. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah! Fine. Don't you ever talk to your goddamn mother like that? Director Taika Waititi stated that his film is a love letter to moms and that Rosie Belzer is the only grounded character in the film. This is probably ScarJo's finest performance. The only problem with that is I can't figure out what her second best performance would be. I would say a marriage story. I give her a pass of playing a German because it's a comedy. For whatever reason, it doesn't feel like she is Queen Street becoming a different nationality. But like I said, it's a comedy, and so I think it's pretty good, pretty passable. She's okay. Nomination worthy after what we've already seen? I don't know. I think I would put this one on the fence. I was convinced she was going to win this year. She had Marriage Story and she had this. She was up for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. I was convinced she was going to win something this year. I couldn't believe she didn't. And if you think her second best is Marriage Story, there are her two best films in the same year. Right there is a whole lot of juice. And people, I don't know, people seem to like her. Yeah, I mean, I do. Like, I really liked her in Lost in Translation. I'd probably put that above this performance. See, I think she's gotten better as she's gotten older. Definitely. 
But there's also this thing. Okay, so this is my favorite ScarJo performance <laughs> because one, it's a great role, despite being almost nauseatingly righteous. Like, do people like this actually exist? Like freedom fighters and brave mothers, like, are they out there? I don't know. I think we want to believe so. We certainly do. But the most grounded character, I don't know if I agree with him. The second reason this is my favorite is her performances are often really visible, if you know what I mean. Like I can I can see her acting when I watch her, but this role seems to prevent that because she's play acting a lot of the time with her son. And I think that that gives her distance, like one of those Russian dolls, from making it obvious to me. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I don't know, it man. Does. I mean, that's my major problem with Laura Dern in A Marriage Story. I could tell she's acting. Yeah, no, I'm not going to take this nomination away. You convince me. I'd give Scar Joe Jojo Rabbit Award over Laura Dern, and we wouldn't be talking about this year, this award. I mean, that dance scene alone, just in my opinion, that earns her the nomination right there. And I, like I said, I expected her to win this year. All right, so Scar Joe, I give thumbs up. Spro, I convinced him apparently. Two nominees down, two more to go. Next up is Florence Pugh, or Miss Flo as Olivia Wilde. <laughs> Playing Amy in Little Women. The Irishman and Little Women are my two favorite movies of 2019. The Irishman, because when it was over, I felt like I understood the human condition a little bit better. And Gerwig's adaptation of Little Women, because it gave me joy the way movies used to in the 90s when my my soul was still mostly intact. The titular Little Women are also good. And when the four of them are together on screen, their camaraderie never once feels feigned. I love it. It makes me so jolly. I don't know other word for it. The dance sequence between Timothy Chalamet and Saoirse Ronan just makes my heart soar. Pew, though. Let's talk Pew. What a terrible last name. Pew is good. I can't even say it now without thinking about that. Pew. We also have a player on the women's soccer team with the last name Pew. Only you would know that. Pew is good. (laughs) She's good as the resentful and immature Amy. But I think Pew's best work is still ahead of her, especially when you consider how well she handled the don't worry darling fiasco. Just talent and class all the way. I'm a failure. Joe is in New York being a writer and I'm a failure. That's quite a statement to make at 20. Well, Rome took all the vanity out of me and Paris made me realize I'd never be a genius, so I'm giving up all my foolish artistic hopes. Why should you give up, Amy? You have so much talent Talent isn't genius. And no amount of energy can make it so. I want to be great or nothing, and I will not be some commonplace dauber, and I don't intend to try anymore. What are you going to do with your life? (sighs) Polish up all my other talents and become an ornament to society. Mm, That's where Fred Vaughn comes in, I suppose. Don't make fun. I said his name. You're not engaged, I hope. No. But you will be if he goes down properly on one knee. Most likely, yes. He's rich, richer than you, even. I understand Queens of Society can't get on without money, although it does sound odd from the mouth of one of your mother's girls. I've always known I would marry rich. Why should I be ashamed of that? It's nothing to be ashamed of, as long as you love him. Well, I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. Well, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. 
And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is. It may not be for you, but it most certainly is for me. Yes. Look, <laughs> I give you a lot of shit. More so for the movies you don't like than the ones you do, but you loved this movie so much that I avoided it. Not just because you loved it. It was a remake of a book I didn't really give a shit about. It starred young Timothy Chalamet, who is so beloved by females they gushed when he wore a red dress to some event, and I'm here to tell you, yes, good for him for being brave, but the dress looked like shit on him. Let's be honest. If you're going to be a dude who wears a dress, make sure the dress looks good on you. <laughs> like at the 72nd Academy Awards when Matt Stone and Trey Parker dropped acid and then dressed up like Gwyneth Paltrow and Jennifer Lopez. Sort of yes, what, you're, what you're talking about. Sad fact. That was 23 years ago. <sighs> Yet. But back to Little Women. I liked it. If Irishman and Little Women were your two favorite films this year, we have little in common in our taste of 2019 films. But this was good, as were all the performances in it. I dare say, let's not stop with Pew. Who else do you think could have gotten a nom in this? Well, I mean, Saoirse deserved her nomination. I didn't watch the Oscars this year because you hadn't proposed this podcast to me yet. I was out on the Oscars. But if I had been watching, I would have been pulling for Saoirse. Interestingly, our woman of the hour, Laura Dern, is also in this movie, playing the matriarch of the Marsh family. But I think as far as the veteran actors are concerned, Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper are the standouts. Meryl Streep is so curmudgeonly in this movie. It's wonderful. She plays the old aunt who never married and somehow came into money and just bosses these girls around and they put up with her. She's such a bitch. It's great. And Chris Cooper, his role and his relationship with Beth both before and after she passes and his scenes with her and with Joe, just wonderful. I would say that's it. I mean, I would have been fine with a Timothy Chalamet nomination. This is probably my favorite thing I've seen him in. Joe Lewis is like, dude, bro. Yeah. No. Um, Boring. I will say, I think I liked Laura Dern better in this movie than I did in A Marriage Story. And getting it all back down to Florence Pugh, the thing that I like about her the most is how strong she is. Just all the way through, I hope that Marvel gives her more of a role to play because I think she's one of the best castings they have done female-wise for their whole universe. She has a voice, too, that makes her sound wise beyond her years. Gerwig's a good filmmaker, man. I'm excited as hell for Barbie. I am not, but I will agree Greta's a good filmmaker. I'm going to read all of her scripts this year because nice. of you. Her and Jane Black. All right, the final nominee for Best Supporting Actress 2020 is Margot Robbie, who already came up once today. But this time, she was nominated for playing Kayla, I want to say Popsicle, but it's Pospisil. <laughs> I love Popsicles. In Bombshell. I do. I eat way too many Popsicles. Way too many. All right, let me admit something, and maybe you can relate. When I sit down to watch a movie that I have never seen, and it's for this podcast... I tend to get tunnel vision. I think of it in the context of the Oscars. I try to resist it, but it's really tough. And with actors, when we are taking away an acting Oscar, it's even more detrimental, I think, to my enjoyment of the film. Case in point, I watched this movie and just was zeroed in on waiting for Margot Robbie. When she came on, I was studying her. And when I wasn't immediately floored by her, I was wondering, why the fuck was she even nominated? 
And that's, I think, a real flaw in my process. Uh, So I'll try and reframe my mind moving forward. But eventually I got it, though. Robbie has two scenes that I believe warranted this nomination. First, when her character Kayla gets trapped in the room with chairman and CEO of Fox News an Ohio University graduate, Roger Ailes, and coerced into exposing her body. And then the second scene is when she recounts that abuse on the phone with her friend and confidant, Jess Carr, played by the wonderful Kate McKinnon. Robbie plays Kayla a bit like a horror movie victim. We watch as she is psychologically attacked and wounded by this monster. Her terror is painful to watch. But then we get to see something that the horror movies rarely, if ever, show us. We see the lasting effects of her encounter with this monster begin to manifest. The trauma threatens her relationships, her job, and her mental health. I think this is one of Robbie's best. And I think that she is typically quite good. Kayla. What happened? I did it. I... I... I did it. I gave in to him. <laughs> Kayla, I, I... I'm so sorry. He kept talking. He just kept talking. He kept saying... Good girl. That's a good girl. Be a good soldier. Earn your place. Fuck. <laughs> he didn't even... Didn't even unbuckle. Couldn't get it. I feel so filthy. No, Kayla, you didn't do anything wrong. I'm sorry. And we disagree again. Look, Margot Robbie, very attractive, seems very sweet, and was absolutely wonderful in I, Tanya. And I think that's one of the best roles that she has ever gotten that really shows her range and skill. It seems like she got this nomination because she's very attractive and very sweet in Hollywood's It Girl at the moment. Okay. I'm reminded of... Oh, shit. And to bring up something that you said earlier in this episode, when oh, here it comes, about here comes. Loose, you said Loose had only two scenes where she did anything remotely Oscar worthy. Ah, and but the adverb her remotely. The adverb remotely. I did not well, use Well, the screenwriters are told to avoid adverbs. Yeah, so Stephen, Stephen so- King. Every time I use an adverb, I think of Stephen King, who's like, stop using adverbs. <laughs> I'm like, no, fuck <laughs> you, Stephen King. <laughs> so this is English teacher versus writer. <laughs> Tell yeah, me well, what this adverb means. the last good book that Stephen King wrote. Anyway, <laughs> I remember once upon a time, let's be real, once upon a time- <laughs> Someone's just like, I was like, oh, you never know who we're going to shit on. (laughs) I remember once upon a time, somebody sent me a clip from the Graham Norton show. It was of Jim Carrey and Margot Robbie. And Carrey insinuates behind the veil of a joke, of course, that Robbie is only where she is because of her looks, which joke or not is kind of a dismissive thing to say. Bitter sentiments from a guy who hasn't been in a good film since 2004. Of course, her looks propelled her to the front of the line. It's Hollywood. You need to save that kind of criticism for somebody like Megan Fox or Jessica Alba. Or better yet, shut the fuck up entirely. 
And I wanted to talk to you because you're amazing and I'm so excited for you. Oh, it's thanks. incredible that you've gotten as far as you have with your obvious physical disadvantages. <laughs> Unbelievable. Based off everything we've talked about, everyone we've brought up, Margot gets the nomination for Bombshell. Other than Dern getting the nomination and then the fucking award, this is the second most bewildering thing out of these Oscars. Margot Robbie for Bombshell. You mentioned Kate McKinnon, who I think stole every scene she was in, including those with Miss Robbie. I mentioned her, yeah, but I disagree that she stole every scene. She was good when they go to bed together, but I think Robbie's role was the tougher. As far as why she was nominated, remember, too, that this role, this film, was deemed very timely, very important. It came out only two years after Me Too resurfaced, and it was about the takedown of one of the most powerful right-wing men in show business. So it's not a surprise to me that Hollywood wanted to prop it up a bit. Does that mean that she wasn't good in it? No, I think she was very good in it. And now I'm going back on my word. If you want to snatch one of these Oscar nominations away and give it to somebody else, Bates, because I am not budging on Margot. Okay. Because mm. it, it sounds like you're itching to pull her nomination. Is that factual? Yes. Yeah, fuck that. Just because she has a pretty face doesn't mean we got to put it up on the billboard. Other it's, than I, Tanya, Which she was amazing and, in. And maybe, and Mary, Queen of Scots. Which I haven't tell seen. Tell me a role that she took that doesn't put her on a pedestal. That doesn't go, this is the most gorgeous woman of this movie and everybody should keep their eyes on her. Her role here in Bombshell, she's one of many women who are being abused and mistreated because they are attractive. Sort of paradoxical to our conversation. I don't know if I'm using that word correctly. <laughs> I think her point in this movie is to be attractive. Her and point in every movie is to be attractive. Maybe. I mean, she is attractive. But I, I'll re revert back to what I said. Save that kind of criticism for somebody like Megan Fox or Jessica Alba. Because Robbie doesn't deserve it. I haven't seen Babylon yet, but you know what? And I really... I can't wait to see it now. <laughs> I can't wait to see her get wild on drugs and watch her fucking star flame out, which I'm sure is what happens. I haven't seen the movie yet. Well, have fun watching that movie because I tried <laughs> twice and then I had to read the plot summary and still went, ew, what the fuck? <laughs> Even this plot summary is too long. I would love Margot Robbie. I mean, I would say she's A-lister by now. She's up there. Oh, definitely. We catapulted. Like, she was probably, like, one of the quickest people to become A-list in recent years. And I think she is talented. I want to see her take more challenging roles. I don't want her to just be the cute face. It's kind of how, like, Charlize Theron was going. And then she was like, you know what? I'm going to do Monster, and I'm going to be Furiosa. And, like, now she's getting dirty and gritty. I want Margot to follow the Theron theory. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, the script for Sober is still on the table. Hi. If she can play high school age, um, <laughs> that's her chance. Play a junkie. Yeah. Have your people call my people before Zazie Beats does. All right. Looking at it, though, with the nominations, who would you... T I'm putting Taylor Russell up. If you want to be like, let's take away Bates and keep Margot Robbie, fine. Taylor Russell is going somewhere. Fine. Give Bates the boot. So then we have Taylor Russell in Waves with ScarJo and JoJo Rabbit, Florence Pugh in Little Women, and then Margot Robbie. I'm Look, look, okay. I'm taking Laura Gerd's nomination away. I, are you cool with that? 100%. I don't think she deserved the nomination. 100%. Okay. So then we have, do we have an open slot still? We do. Who would you put up? Uh, Nai Nai. All right. Zhao Shujen as Nai Nai so, in The Farewell. All right. So we got Taylor Russell in Waves, Florence Pugh for Little Women, ScarJo for JoJo Rabbit. You say the name. <laughs> Zhao Shujen as Nai In the Nai. farewell. In the farewell. 
And then Margot Robbie and Bombshell. I think that is a good list. Now, out of that, do your top three. Okay. I'm going to start backwards with three. Taylor Russell as Emily in Waves. I thought the scene with her and her father when they were fishing, that was at the moment where I'm like, yeah, this girl is fucking great. When he is pouring his soul out to her and then he's like, I shouldn't be telling you that. I don't know why I'm telling you this. And she goes, no, it's good. I I want you to tell me this stuff. Ah, what a great movie that was. My third one is, and I just changed it, Zhao Zhuzhen as Nai Nai in The Farewell. Only because it made me feel like my grandma was nicer. Yeah. Oh, if only my grandmother had been as nice as you, Nai Nai. My number two is your number three, Zhao Zhuzhen as Nai Nai in The Farewell. A grandma that we all deserve. Nice. And my number two is Scar Joe for Jojo Rabbit. This performance this year made me feel something the most, like Florence Pugh in Little Women. I liked everything. I liked the ensemble that they put together. Was less enthused about Meryl Streep as you are, because I was like, this is just Meryl Streep playing an old curmudgeon lady again. But when it came to ScarJo's performance in Jojo Rabbit, and I guess I'll spoil it, when she dies in the movie is probably the thing that winded me the most. And ScarJo is my number one. And Taylor Russell is my number one. For Interesting. Waves. Really? You thought she was better than everybody else? I thought she was very good. I couldn't find a flaw in it. So I agree. Like, I didn't interrupt you when you were talking about what you thought was your detriment or flaw when looking at a film and seeing Margot Robbie pop on screen and then scrutinizing her performance. I do the exact same thing. I feel okay. like that's what we're supposed to be doing. And when it came to Taylor Russell, I scrutinized her and I could not see the cracks. And the same thing with pretty much ScarJo. I thought that Taylor Russell, though, had more of an emotional range. I thought that the camera work, probably the material that she had to work with was less so. So she had to do more and she delivered flawlessly. Waves just knocked me on my ass. Same. I can't find flaw. But in the same instance, if you look at it like one plus two, which would be ScarJo's points, she would get our award and which, Taylor Russell would come in second and Nai Nai would come in third. Which, which bums me out because <laughs> The Farewell and Waves are 10 times the movies that Jojo Rabbit is. I think Jojo Rabbit is a little overrated. Yes, agreed. But we put Nai Nai and Taylor Russell in the audience, got their names on the stage in our little imaginary world. And I think it's the small little victory. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, kid. Jojo. I know you miss me, but I'm, I'm out there trying to make a difference in the world. And while I'm gone, I need you to take care of my Rosie. Can you do that? Yes, Dad. Thanks. She's doing what she can. Oh, gosh. We made a good kid, huh? Damn, that's good. It reminds me of dancing with Rosie in the red salon. You remember, honey? Cause I do, babe. <laughs> and number four is Margot Robbie. Okay, that's all for us today. <laughs> no, you're right. 
If you've never seen Jojo Rabbit, watch it just for ScarJo. Maybe you'll enjoy the rest of it. But from this episode alone, I think Spro and I are both telling you, have fun watching Hustlers, cry your eyes out watching Waves and The Farewell, and then check out Bombshell because I want everybody to agree with me about Margot Robbie. Okay, that's the end of the show. I didn't disagree with you. She is beautiful. I just want more. You are focused on her looks too much. Yes, you are. You cannot see past this beautiful woman and see the artist that she is. But the roles don't challenge her as much as I want her to be challenged. I don't know, man. I wouldn't like to be sitting across from John Lithgow in a fat suit being told to lift my skirt higher and higher and higher and higher. She looks positively terrified in that scene. So maybe you should rewatch it. I just want her to challenge herself more. Don't just be pretty. Be amazing like you can be. All right, so... Laura Dern, your Oscar no longer belongs to you. We're going to hand that over to Miss Scarlett Johansson for her performance as Rosie Betzler in Jojo Rabbit. You were a wonderful character, gave a wonderful performance. You were a beautiful mother in both this movie and Marriage Story. Just a towering year getting nominated as Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. You made me a believer this year. You made us believers. So here's the Oscar that you so rightfully deserve. That's it, bro. You got anything to add? Um, Scarlett Johansson's father was an architect and her mother was, uh, her grandfather was an art historian, screenwriter, and film director. So she might have been a Nepo baby. You know what? I didn't say this at the beginning. I don't give a fuck about Nepo babies. I really don't. (laughs) I don't. You know what pissed me off though? When Tom Hanks was called on it and he said something to the effect of, this is a family business. It's like, what? Yeah, Tom (laughs) Hanks is saying some dumb shit. That's the thing though about the Nepo babies. And I'm glad you say that, like you don't give a fuck. And I kind of do. But in the same instance, I only really do when they try to say that they didn't benefit at all from it. And I remember back in the day, there was a roast, I think of Kiefer Sutherland or somebody that Kiefer Sutherland was at. And they're like, Kiefer Sutherland said he was homeless growing up. And it must be pretty fucking hard to be homeless in your daddy's Mercedes outside of your daddy's mansion. It does help when your people are famous to get a foot in Hollywood. So don't pretend like it fucking doesn't. Remember that show where he jumped into a Christmas tree? All right. This is a very long know. episode. Thank yeah. you for sticking Fuck with you, us. Stephen King. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us, everyone, for, uh, uh, so, you know, if you did, the four of you that maybe stuck to the end. And uh, we'll be back again in two weeks. Until then, I'm Lee. I'm Spro. And we hope to see you sitting front row when the envelopes are red. Sproon Lee will return November 13th with a special episode. In the meantime, check out at Take on the Academy on Instagram. Find us on Facebook if you're still kicking around there. Send love notes to takeontheacademy at gmail.com. You can even rate and review us on your Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google, Facebook, wherever you prefer. And finally, thanks for listening. Really, thank you. If a podcast falls in the woods, does it make a sound? No way, fam. Not without reaching your adorable ears. So take a bow and ta-ta for now.